Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and today I'm excited to have Omar Khan who is the CEO of Boardwalk Wealth, a private equity firm based out of Dallas, Texas and he's a CFA charter holder and has done $3.7 billion in capital financing and M&A transactions while doing multi-family syndications across the US. Welcome to the show, Omar. Thank you, Rohit. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, you know, can, can you walk through your journey and what made you uh, interested in capital financing and multi-family uh, syndications? Well, Rohit, uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, my family is in finance, so that was a nice segue. They're a business family, so that was one segue, obviously. The other deal was, uh, you know, growing up, um, look, I'm a typical Desi guy. I saw a lot of business people. I see business people make money. Money seems nice. They lead a good lifestyle. I get into finance. Luckily for me, I got good jobs, uh, you know, and that circle perpetuated. I was in Canada. I moved down to the U.S. three years ago. And by that time, you know, because having worked in M&A, investment banking, all that kind of stuff, I had a good experience and I was managing some money. And then, you know, man, when you move to the U.S., the market is big. It's very exciting. One thing led to another. And here we are. We're syndicating uh, 20, 30 million dollar deals at a time and having a really good time and giving a lot of returns to our investors. Some of them, by the way, are actually in India. Oh, very, very, very interesting. Uh, so, you know, uh, just for the listeners, you know, what, what, what is syndication and, you know, how do you syndicate these deals? So basically, look, what happens is typically earlier, what would happen is, you know, you typically hear, oh, I've raised a fund and now this fund, once you've raised all the money, is now going to go buy whatever assets you want to buy, right? Okay. So typically for us, what we realized is, uh, especially after the 2008 crisis, a lot of, there was a lot more due diligence and compliance coming into place, which is actually really good for good operators like ourselves. So okay. syndication is basically a, a fancy way of saying that what we do is instead of raising a blind pool of money, right, where I raise the money up front from investors and then I go invest in whatever I want, what right. we do is we buy one asset at a time, right? So you as an investor have greater transparency into operations. So instead of, you know, you're just giving me your money and then I can go do whatever I want. This way you're able to pick and choose what investments you want to put your own hard-earned money in. Right. Okay. And because we have a great track record, we've got very loyal investors who, who are generous enough to give us more referrals. So what happens over a period of time is, uh, whereas it, it just becomes a better business model, both for the investors and ourselves as well, because, you know, everybody's interests are aligned. Okay. And so, you know, what I figured out in US is that the various real estate investments, you know, multifamily, yeah. cell storage, uh, mobile home parks, yeah, and, yeah. you know, which, which gives, you know, great, great ROI. So, so why are you focusing on multifamily and, you know, what, what, what do you mean by multifamily? You know, so, yeah, that's a good question. Multifamily is a fancy way of saying, oh, we go and buy apartment complexes anywhere from 15 to $40 million. Okay. Right. So instead of, you know, typically what would happen with condos is everybody gets one apartment in a building and then you have, I don't know, 100 owners or something like that, right? Okay. What we right. do is if, I, if I, it's one of my target markets in Texas and Florida, I, what I will do is, you know, look at, the, look at the property, do the property tours, run my analysis, all of that stuff. And then we'll just go in and buy the entire asset. Now, why do we do that? Because typically our investors are like ourselves. They're either high net worth or really high income people. Okay. So the issue with them is not just the money they're making. The issue with them is the amount of taxes they're paying. 
Okay. So what happens with, the, for instance, specifically apartment buying apartment complexes is because of the amount of moving pieces you have, I mean, these are somewhat complicated deals, but because of the amount of moving pieces you have, you get a lot of tax write-offs. So not only is the cash returns very high, the appreciation returns very high, yeah. you get start getting a lot of tax write-offs. And because of that tax write-offs, what starts really happening is that you could be making the same amount of money, but be paying half or like a third of the taxes. Because at the end of the day, as an investor, you really are not just concerned with the gross amount of money you make, but what net comes into your pocket, right? So that basically allows us uh, to cater to a very affluent, high income, high net worth sort of client and basically design portfolios and strategies that are like net net, they have the maximum amount of money coming into their pocket. Okay, very interesting. So, so I don't know about the tax writers, but uh, but the income, which is like the, the rent they receive, right. and all, are, are, are they also do they also get a write-off on that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because look, the tax write-off is basically let's put it this way, right? Let's assume you have a hundred dollars coming in, right, as rental income. Your right. expenses are let's say forty dollars. So right. now you're left with say sixty dollars of income, assuming there is no other expense, right? Okay. So what happens now is, for instance, now typically you would get, say, $60 to you as an investor. Let's assume it goes to you. And right. let's assume your tax rate is 50%, right? So you get 60 gross, 50% is a tax, so 30 is going to go into your pocket, net, net. Right? right? Exactly. You follow me, right? So what happens yeah. is, what typically in these types of deals, the way we structure it is, that you get say the $60 income, right? But right. against that, we have a lot of non-cash expenditures like depreciation. Oh. Right. Or we can accelerate the depreciation. So what happens is I can say, for instance, the fixtures and fittings in my building, well, they're not going to depreciate over a 27 year period. They're right. going to depreciate over a five year period. Right. So their depreciation is faster. The carpet I have might depreciate over three years. The paint might depreciate over seven years. So this is why, for instance, when you do it on scale for these larger projects, you can afford hiring uh, professional people to come in. Literally, I'm not even joking with you. Okay. These people will literally come in and they will count the amount of plugs you have in your building. Yeah. Okay. 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 The type of wiring you have, is it copper, aluminum, what kind of wiring it is? Because each thing depreciates at a different rate. And what happens is, and now you, look, you can't do this on smaller assets. You have to do it on bigger assets. But as a result of this, what you're able to do is get so many of these tax benefits that you were going to get, say, in years 5, 10, 15, you're able to front load all the tax taxes, right? And we both know that a dollar today is better than a dollar tomorrow, right? Time value of money. Sure. So because you're able to take all this deduction right now, typically in the first one or two or even three years, you're not even paying any taxes on your income. Okay. Got it. And you know, how, how, how do you decide which project should, uh, uh, should the company impact? Do you, do you look at uh, locations which are, which are near the beach or uh, near, the, near the lake? Uh, you know, what sort of due diligence is needed for it? So first of all, there's a lot of due diligence needed. And typically what happens is that this is not a spray and pray strategy. So what I mean by spray and pray is that you can't just go to like say 100 markets and just start quote unquote diversifying, right? It doesn't really work like that because okay. these, aren't liquid, these aren't liquid assets. So what you can't do is, you know, things aren't working out, you press a button and boom, you sold it, right? Yeah. With these are like three to five year hold periods, right? So what yeah. you have to do, or in fact, what most operators do, even operators, who are like say 10, 20, 30 times bigger than I am, like guys who manage like 60, 80, 100 billion dollars. They're only in very specific markets. The reason why they're only in very specific markets is because unlike tech and a lot of consumer technology and everything, this market is still very fragmented. Okay. As an example, a lot of this is still run through brokers. So you can actually, you can't even go online if you think about it and get access to the really good deal flow. 
right? Okay. Yeah, there are some websites, but what happens with those websites is that all the junk that all the sophisticated investors in the market didn't buy, all that junk is put on the websites. Oh, okay. Unlike say buying a house where you can go to a website and that uh, the market isn't as fragmented. This market is very inefficient. It's very fragmented and it's very regional. So okay. this, I mean, and plus, if you think about it, there's not a lot of people who can go out and buy anything between a 20 to a $40 million asset in 30 days like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. A lot of people, the vast majority of people don't even have access to those resources. So yeah. as a result of that, there's a lot of arbitrage opportunity, number one. Number right. two, what happens is you have to pick and choose your battle. So for instance, for us, we're in very specific markets. So anything outside of that market, we don't even look. It doesn't even matter how good the deal is because that market is not our area of expertise. Right. And number three, what happens is typically uh, when you're looking on a pricing and valuation basis, we're not going for the newest product. So we're not going for anything that was built in the last 15 years, as an example. So typically assets we're buying, they're distressed assets or underperforming assets that were typically built between, say, the mid 70s all the way to the mid 90s. Right. So what we can see is, say, if the property down the street, as an example, has a thousand dollars a month rent. Right. right. Yeah. This property is say, it's literally the same. It's the exact same thing, but yeah. the owner is only charging $700 a month. Right? right. Because the owner didn't do any repairs on time. The owner doesn't have good property management. The good systems and processes are not in place. It's like any other business, right? It's an right. underperforming business in a growing market. Now we can come in, take that pain off the owner's shoulders, essentially, you know, they will cash them out. But now we have teams and operations in place that are all professional people, all institutional backgrounds, come in and just hit the ground running from day one. Oh, okay. But that, but, but again, the reason there is because we have specific market knowledge. So I'm not in a hundred markets. I'm in like six markets and we have very deep knowledge in those markets and relationships. Okay. And so, so you basically go out and look out for this distress, uh, you know, uh, buildings, which are, which are, which are from 19, you know, sixties and nineties. Well, I wish I physically did it. Rather, I don't wish I physically did it I, because we have good relationships. We have relationships. good okay. relationships with all the brokers and the, the major brokers in the market. Okay. And by major brokers, I mean people who do deal flow between 500 million to $2 billion a year. So that's their business, right? Their business is to facilitate the transaction. Our right. business is to be sophisticated buyers and say no 90% of the time. But 10% of the time when we do have to say yes, we're able to move quickly and they know we have a track record. So that's why they can bring it to us because they know that, look, if they bring it to us, they have 100% assurity of close, right? So they'll get the commission on time, the deal will get sold and we'll do what we say and say what we do because we have that track record, right? That's right. Got it. And, um, you know, I, I want to know, you know, what sort of people do actually back syndicates because, uh, you know, somebody uh, who, was, who doesn't own a home, uh, should he invest into a syndicate? Uh, oh, yeah. You know? I don't own a home. I'm, I'm being honest with you. I have $120 million asset under management and only oh. like, what, six months ago did I buy a house. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be honest with you. The, if buying a house in most nicer parts of the United States, in fact, most parts of the, the world, actually, most nice cities in the world, including, say, Bombay, Delhi, all of that stuff, okay. uh, on an income level basis, not capital appreciation, right? Just right, on a right. monthly income level basis. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't work out. Now, yeah. for instance, you could buy assets, you could buy single family houses, as an example, okay. and bank on, say, the appreciation happening, right? Because if you think about it, if you're in Delhi, well, I mean, there's more people moving to Delhi and development isn't catching up, right? right. So yeah. you wise you make a lot of money, but your rent will barely cover your mortgage payment. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, you know, Airbnb has come in and, you know, they've, they've 
uh, really, uh, you know, uh, made a mess out of out of uh, plans. But uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, but you know, you say uh, you know people should pack syndicates. What sort of returns uh, can they look at when they when they packing syndicates? And uh, you know, uh, you know, how much money uh, should they be putting in? It's not like a crowdfunding syndicate, right? No. Where, well, where I, look, I think crowdfunding is type of a syndicate, I guess. Yeah. But that's more of a public deal. This is more of private deals happening, right? Uh-huh. And the reason. What usually what look I personally think crowdfunding is the future. Personally, this okay. is my opinion. Okay. But the deal is that crowdfunding works good in liquid markets that have uh, that are not fragmented, right? So, okay. for instance, the single housing market, as an example, right? right? Or say New York office space, New York City office space in Manhattan, right? I mean, that's a pretty liquid market, right? There's always going to be buyers, right? What it doesn't work is in say markets in specific areas where say the household income is say. $35,000 a year, right? In the US that's considered low. So the yeah. issue there is, it's like any arbitrage opportunity. Maybe in 10, 20 years, this opportunity doesn't exist anymore, right? right? right. Because technology comes and improves efficiencies and processes and all of that in place. But right. because technology isn't really good, that's why there's a lot of arbitrage or opportunity. And particularly what we do is typically we seek to double money in three to five years. Right. Mm-hmm. And because they're asset backed securities. So investors know that valuations are very stable. Okay. Got it. Um, you know, when you talk about crowdfunding and uh, in, in, in private space, uh, uh, there's one company which comes from my mind is Fundrise, uh, which does, you know, uh, these, these sort of private deals, uh, you know, correct. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but but you know you've got to be a, a U.S. Uh, citizen, and you uh, you know at least you you need to have a U.S. bank account. So uh, the reason for that is because they're doing it publicly. So when you do it publicly, not in a private setting, your okay. level of compliance goes up because now securities laws come into play, right? Okay. A lot of those things come into play. That's why, for instance, you have all those restrictions. But for instance, when you're running private syndicates, you're private investment groups, you don't have that issue. Like I told you, I have Indian investors who actually live in, I mean, I have Indian investors who are Americans, but I have Indian investors who are Indian, uh, who live in India. A couple of guys live in Hyderabad. Uh, You know, for instance, I've got a couple of guys out of South Korea, a few guys out of Hong Kong, lots of guys out of Canada, a few guys out of UK, uh, France. So then it's very easy because, uh, I mean, look, if you have systems and processes in place, things aren't that bad, but you have to realize a lot of times when you see things publicly, right? So for instance, you can see it sitting in India and the guy down the street from me in Dallas can see it at the same time, right? Right. Basically, that is a fancy way of saying that you're not getting a deal because good deals don't show up to the average Joe. Right. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's in India, it's it's in the US, everywhere it's the same deal. Correct. Correct. And you know, what sort of money should should, should people have to put into these syndicates to, uh, and you know, what 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 is the sort of lock-in period, uh, and you know, how do they get so, their returns? Is, is it quarterly, so the, monthly? Yeah. Oh yeah. So the returns are quarterly, right? Okay. Uh, the minimum investments typically are fifty thousand US dollars, and the whole period is between three and five years. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay, and and so you know, uh, if they you know, you know if we have international listeners, so uh, would they have to uh, you know wire funds uh, into a US bank account, and you know, uh, are there any any you know complex legal work, uh, or you know, can can you just run through the process uh, for people who would want to back the syndicate? 
Well, yes and no. For instance, it is complex if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, I guess it's pretty complex if you don't know what you're doing. But typically now, because we have so many investors, we've got a whole bunch of guys on our team that just facilitate those transactions, number one. Number okay. two, what happens is I, it also depends on which country you live in and okay. what are the laws of your specific country uh, because the U.S. is going to accept money. Okay, but your country, for instance, because I know, for instance, in India, India right. has a lot of currency controls. Right. right. So yeah. Sometimes it could be an issue for an Indian living in India, making money in India to, to literally physically move their money outside right. of the country or there's a delay or some version of that. But other countries, for instance, South Korea, uh, they don't seem to have that sort of a problem. Yeah. Right. Or, or in, in a lesser amount, they have that problem. Yeah. So a lot of this is country specific. But in terms of the complexity of stuff, uh, we basically deal a lot of these things in house and we have specialists. So from our side, it's not really much of a problem. Okay, and and do you raise capital from you know other private equity uh, groups or you know other yeah. other uh, yeah other yeah. corporates also trying to you know uh, raise uh, funds for these these partners? Oh yeah, 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 all the time. And the look, uh, when you're for instance in a market and you've got a good deal and you've got a good uh, uh, in look, it's not just an investor network. Like for a lot of our deals, different people are raising money for our deals as well, right? Through the broker dealer right. channel, privately as well, because this way they get access to a solid deal flow that they wouldn't be getting otherwise, right? right? So for instance, if you have a great deal and I, I look at your deal, it's like, wow, Rohit is really killing it, right? right. But I want to invest in your deal, man. I mean, I, everybody wants to make money. So, sure. I mean, I, I know you, I trust you. I think you have a great deal. People are very open to doing it, and they do do it. I mean, I do it for other people's deals. Okay, got it. And, and you know, how, how big is your team, and you know, how, how you know how many how many deals have you have you done till now? So we have 120 million dollars assets under management team. Okay. They, there's three core partners, obviously, okay. and. Uh, then we have different partners for various deals. A lot of our stuff, for instance, we run, we run basically a cost light sort of model, whereas every partner brings something to the table. So for instance, I have operational and capital raising expertise. I have another partner who basically has a good balance sheet so he can sign up for all the loans and take it. He, he's an older guy, so he has a lot of connections that way, right? So everybody brings something to the table because okay. at the end of the day, look, the typical fund model is that you come in and we will fee you to death. Right. Everything you do, you sign a paper, that's one fee. You do this, that's one fee. And that right. model is dying because people are intelligent. People realize you don't, why should I pay a fee for everything? Right. So right. we wanted to avoid that because we were, I mean, we all worked institutionally. So we didn't really want that model because look, we just feel, look, it's just not good for the investors and long-term it's not just good for relationship building. Right. Well, what's right. the point? You just nickel and dime everybody all the time. So we try to avoid that and we've done a good job so far. Okay. And, you know, I want to know how much, uh, you know, money should people put into commercial real estate, like, like multifamily, mobile, park home and self storage, you know, the, these are some, some of the investments which I've heard about, you know, over the last couple of years, but, but since people are conditioned to, you know, buy a, buy a single family home, you know, as soon as they start earning, uh, mm -hmm. you know, how much, how much money would you, would you suggest to put into such sort of investments, uh, which can give you, that depends how much money you have, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but as the percentage, typically, look, what we're looking at is, what I tell people is, depending on where they are in their life cycle or how much balance sheet or personal portfolio they have, okay. our investors are typically anywhere from, honest, I'm not even joking with you, 10% to 100% invested. Oh, because okay. the deal is, it depends what you're looking for, right? So, for instance, coming from the investment banking side, I still, I used to, till about a year ago, have still have a sizable portfolio in the public markets. Oh, okay. But the deal there was that because the public markets are so efficient, 
I mean, right. I'm, I'm, and I'm saying this in a good way, it's not a bad thing. Sure. They're so efficient that finding alpha in the public markets right now, at least in the US, is right. next to impossible. Right, right. I mean, guys with like a $2 billion research budget, quantitative hedge funds, they're having a hard time. Okay, okay. Right, so th- what I was seeing was because, again, the deal is the markets were so efficient publicly that even I eventually just moved a lot, most of my assets pretty much all into like my own business and other people's investment. I think, you know, other people who are running similar things, I, you know, I invest with them as well. Correct. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's because you understand real estate so well. So, so why not, you know, invest? It's in not just real estate, understanding the real estate. The, the other deal for me also is the way I look at it is, look, if, if you, this is just, this is just me, okay? It's our okay. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I personally feel that, look, if the market is very efficient, if everybody can sit at their home and invest in something, for instance, right? And right. right. the chances of you and me, get, first of all, getting a value are very right. little. And right. then us getting excess returns over the long term are, are even smaller. Right. Yeah. Makes so, sense. And the whole game there is to basically uh, sort of increase not just your portfolio size, but the rate of growth of your portfolio as well. So if, you know, some soccer mom sitting in the middle of nowhere and some guy sitting at work are both right. able to click on a mouse and invest in the same thing that you are researching in. Yeah. There's no opportunity for you to make excess profits long term. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's kind of the way I look at it. Right. But again, that depends on what your skill is. Right. Everybody's kind of different. I have some guys who work in hedge funds and they don't even touch this because they're like, whatever. I just like liquidity. But the deal also is their cost structure is very different than mine. My cost structure is very low. They, they have a very expensive lifestyle. Yeah. yeah totally, right? totally. So everybody's kind of different. Sure. Uh, so, you know, what's the next big thing for Omar and uh, a boardwalk with? Uh, what, are, what are you looking at? Uh, getting? Well, the next big thing is for you to make me famous in Bollywood, Roy. <laughs> you know, you do that for me. And I think, uh, you know, I go to meet Shah Rukh Khan and Salman Khan. I think I'll be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd love to get those guys on the podcast. Yeah, look, the next big deal uh, for us is basically we keep doing good deals. We keep returning a lot of money. You know, we're in the top 10% of um, people. Uh, Okay. In our basically industry. So okay. we keep improving our results. We keep, uh, we keep talking to smart, thoughtful, intelligent people like yourself, because a lot of times in our business, a lot of times it's having good, smart, intelligent conversations, right. which help you think better and more clearly through your investment process, right? So how can you add more value to investors? What can you do that uh, practically nobody's even thinking about right now? Got it. Makes sense. Uh, so let's quickly do the top three. What's your favorite business okay. book? Well, my favorite, I don't know if this is a business book or not, by, um, but it's that series by Nicholas Nassim Talib. It's that, uh, what is it? The Black Swan and then Fooled by Randomness. I yeah. personally recommend everybody to read that because that's just a primer on life. I just yeah. think it's a great way to just analyze things and look at things. Yeah. And he's written another book called Anti-Fragile. It's, it's an amazing Yeah, it's book. a great book. It's a third book. Sorry, I didn't mention that. That's the third book in the series. So we'll put that in the show notes. You know, if you could go back in time when you started your investing career, what is the one thing you would have focused on? Move to the US way earlier, my friend. It's <laughs> the greatest country on the planet. Awesome. And oh then, man, you know, I love it. Yeah. And what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, LinkedIn? I, I, look, I, I'm going to say Google because honestly, uh, the one thing I've realized with Google is I have never had an original question in my whole life. Every time I think I've got something really cool, I type it in Google and realize half of humanity has asked the same question before. So okay. Google, day-to-day Google, but typically, you know, for project management, we're using Asana. For messaging, we're using Slack. Uh, yeah, and Excel, I guess. I mean, a lot of my work is still done in Excel. 
yeah excel rocks you know in the corporate world uh, yeah, look, there's there's a lot of automation processes coming in place but uh, it's just not the same thing was it okay yeah. uh, and uh, you know what is the best way people can reach out to you and uh, you know so they they can they can back the syndicate oh yeah well even if you don't want to back the syndicate i'd encourage you to reach out my email is okay. omar o m a r at okay. boardwalkwealth.com so that's I guess you'll have that in the show notes, but it's O-M-A-R at B as in ball, O-A-R-D, walkwealth, one word, dot com. I'd be happy to answer your questions. And a lot of times I have guys reach out who are in tech or this or that. And if they have a question, I can't answer it. I'd be happy to connect you with somebody who can. All right, Omar, thank you very much for your time, man. It was awesome speaking to you. Thank you, Rohit. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.